podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Reach for the stars. Climb every mountain higher. Reach for the stars. Follow your heart's desire. Go on, tell us the story behind that. Well, me and John were having a chat the other day, and we were talking about the songs that you used to listen to, like that you have in your head when you're playing cricket. And I've never been able to remember it, but I kept which one, when I bowled well, is always a pain in the arse. But this one was kind of a double-barrel one, because I can remember one game in about 2004, I couldn't get that song out of my head for a start. And it was also twofold, really, because I wanted to talk a little bit, potentially, about coaching. Because I know we're going to come on to, potentially in this episode, talk a bit about coaches and players and how that works. But what is the worst piece of coaching advice? Anyone is, and I'm not saying this means a bad coach. It could just be something that doesn't work for one person, but does work for another. Because I had one that was to do with the reach in my bowling action. But I got, because I was a bit lazy with my left arm, I got told to reach up higher, which in theory, great idea. However, in practice meant that I reached in all directions, including forward out to the batsman and it made me look like Big Bird bowling. But, and I don't mean Joel Garner. I'm in the big thing from Quality, no, quality Street. <laughs> That's not the white one from Sesame Street. But yeah, so it was a bit of a question for both of you. Both played a good standard of cricket. What songs? Eugene, I know more of a batter. John, I know you're a rounder. Sorry, all rounder. Wow. Well, look, firstly, we'll come on to you. I feel like first we should introduce the podcast. So <laughs> people listening by now know who we are. Thank you, as always, for your dreadful interpretation of the song. I must say, when we were talking during our training work yesterday about what song going to be up this week, and you refused to tell me, I really didn't expect it to be reached by Edscom 7. But, uh, but there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Slugging. I'm John O'Gordon. With me, as always, Simon the Bassoon Roberts and uh, Eugene the Buffalo Merger. But, yeah, so, yeah. Aggressive well, start today, uh, aren't we? Another, another episode of wonderful, wonderful podcast. Before we do move forward. I just need to give a shout out to a, an avid listener and great friend of the podcast, Ray Virgil. I've heard us talk about him getting me the God's nectar that he's been, so well, most of which is still in my cupboard, by the way, because I remain true that I will bring it on our walk. But yeah, Ray's fallen, fallen ill. He's the chairman of the Leak Question Testimonial Year this year, of which I'm on his committee. And yeah, he's not too great at the moment. So Ray, absolutely all of our thoughts are with you. Stay strong, Ray. Get well soon. And we very much look forward to you being back to full health. So Godspeed, mate. And we'll forward to seeing you soon. Songs then, huge. In your two-step off-roller run-up, any songs going through your mind? No. If anything, I never, ever sing to myself. I always say something to myself. I always have a, when a bowler's running up in, in terms of batting, I always have a certain phrase that I say to myself. And in terms of bowling, I always concentrate by looking where I want the ball to bowl. So I don't have any land. What land? Exactly. Yeah. The big round ball first, then from there. But yeah, I, I, you know what? Genuinely, maybe it's because I'm not much of a, maybe it's because I'm not much of a musical person. I'm not really into the songs and dance and all of that sort of stuff. I like listening to it, but don't really like singing it. I'm not a karaoke person. So yeah. So oh, I sound like a karaoke person. I think you've answered your own question. The, so Lisa and I laugh about this a lot. I'm always one to have songs in my run up. I find it the rhythm more than anything else, but I'll never forget there was just this one. And now obviously with Rathy and the amount of sodding nerves from your arms, it's going to any stuff. It's going to be that all scene. But I remember it, I was playing at Old Rumbledonians at the time, and I think I bowled really well this on this particular day. But I couldn't shake Little Donkin. I mean, it's not even the right time of year. I mean, it's about as far away from the right time of year as it could be, but I'm singing Little Donkin all day to myself while I'm running into bowl. So I don't, I think this happens to a lot of people, and there's no particular rhyme or reason for a particular song. And I don't think more often than not they repeat themselves. I just think that on any particular day, just one gets stuck in your head and if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, Latin wise, I tend to say, watch the ball three times before they let go of it. Then completely forget about what I've just said to myself three times. Both throw the kitchen sink at it and either nick you or miss it. Or the thing back of the net. Well, so yeah, I think it's quite a common thing. Yeah. What about this chin thing? I find that interesting. Eugene, have you got any like dreadful piece of advice you've ever been given? 
No, not really. I suppose I was given my first piece of a really good advice today at Nets, but not necessarily a good piece of coaching advice. I told a lot of the boys that I was at Nets with about our walk that we're doing. And the piece of advice I was given was, uh, if you're walking with Jono, make sure you've got a pair of earphones for the 20 miles you're going to be walking. Also, I mean, this is a pleasure every week because we've discussed what we're going to talk about tonight. And I know you two are going to absolutely hammer me for something else later. Right, on to more serious matters. I've actually, not a useless piece, I've got a brilliant piece of advice that I was offered by a guy called Sean Davies, who was our head coach at Wimbledon. Sean played for Zim in the 99 World Cup in the over here, but he was our head coach at Wimbledon. And unsur- you'll be unsurprised to find out that whilst playing in the ones at Wimbledon, I would often be posted at either mid-on or third man, maybe because it was the shortest route between the two, between everything when I wasn't bowling. Well, he always said to me, specifically like the one-day stuff we're playing or T20s or whatever, he'd say, look, I don't care if you fumble it. He says, but just get to the fucking ball as quickly as you possibly can. Because then, and then it, because then you can affect a run out or you create a bit of doubt in the batsman's minds. And that's always stuck with me. And I always say that to the lads that I skipper now and always have ever since in the kind of the last 10 years or whatever. Like, I think that's such an amazing piece of advice. And it sounds really simple, but I, I think that people quite often forget or just amble to the ball, but you really can make a difference by just that first five yards, that intent you show to get to the ball. Even if you don't pick it up cleanly and let go of it, like you can create a little bit of doubt. And obviously most good field insides will say they want to have one run out per game and it, for them to feel like they've affected the game positively during the field. Maybe. How about you, Robert? No, I've been through that many. Like I it's not necessarily, a, I don't mean necessarily bad coaching. I just mean stuff that doesn't necessarily work for you. And it's not any coach. I think we're kind of in a thing where people, coaches think they've got to make instant success. And you look at what happened with J- Jimmy Anderson, for example, and when they tried to change his action, I don't think necessarily that was bad coach. Like you look at where people were in cricket, you look at how we were in it. There was a big thing at the time about having to be upright, trying to more chest on because that was going to work for your body and it just didn't work for it. So people would say that's bad coaching, but I don't know. I've received some interesting anecdotes from certain people when people have a brainwave a, li- a little bit like Glenn Hoddle in the old 96 uh, what was it, 96 European Cup or 98 European Cup or whatever? The, uh, 98 World Cup when he brought the hypnotist, not the hypnotist. Yeah, Eileen, what's her name? Yeah, she was, what was she, not hypnotist, what was she? she no, was a, she was a spiritual therapist or something. Yeah, and yeah, Paul Gascoigne kept saying he could see dead people or something. Or, when actually it was just Bruce Willis. Yeah, but yeah, no, I, I think John, what Johnny says there, I think one of the best pieces of advice that, that I sort of got given was if you want to improve as a cricketer, become multi try and become multifaceted you need and the one that you've got to be good at is fielding so find a niche for yourself whether that's boundary riding whether that's slip catching whether that's silly point short leg whether it's extra cover backward point whatever whatever it is but find that channel for yourself in the field because then if you like John said you can still impact the game if you don't necessarily get any runs you can still impact the game if your ball is not going great you can still impact the game so that was a really really a good one for me and I look at the players that made it that weren't necessarily the most gifted cricketers the one thing they all were was excellent ridiculously good fielders it's a lot um, easier to draw a one-dimensional cricketer than it is a two or three-dimensional cricketer yeah, yeah. so yeah your fielding if you want to get to any kind of level is key and that's why for the, the vast majority of cases professional cricketers are all athletes you don't see many Mark Cosgroves knocking about do you no, um, yeah, right. just into Mammal Hack and Ian Austin. Ian Austin, although it, Adam Rossington's still getting a go. Raheem Cornwell, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Two dimensional though, isn't he? Grabs it and slip, don't drop anything. But that's yeah, what I mean. It doesn't. You don't necessarily have to be the biggest a- athlete in the world, but just find something that suits your skill set and make yourself very good at it. Practice it. Like, we can talk about all these sorts of different players. And Hales, he was in the same training session I was, and you look at him now, and he drew boundary rights, boundary rights, boundary rights, unbelievable boundary right in that short format of one-day cricket. So I, I think that was a really, especially for guys that are trying to get to a higher level, trying to get up there a bit, because if, even if you're, in, if you're in the second team or a third team at a club, and you may be not scoring the runs and whatever, but you're thinking, I want to move forward, a captain will be more likely to pick you if he knows you're a good fielder and you're not going to have to hide you, but you can bat at seven or eight and maybe not do as much in the game. But you know you're going to be involved. Then the guy that 
they're trying to bring in, but they've got to hide it third man or they've got to hide it fine leg or whatever. So I, I just think for me, it was a really good piece of advice. If you want to improve and you want to move forward. Absolutely. Talking about moving forward, you did reference earlier, Simon, our training model that we've all now started. A few videos shared. Eugene shared a couple of photos. I think they just grabbed them off the internet uh, and then drew a few orange lines on a map. But, so Simon, we've done a couple of training walks, one more successful than the other. Want to just talk yeah. to listeners who may or may not have seen our Instagram feeds about them? Well, the first one, you were six over par, I was 10, and then it got rained off. Bad for four holes. 14. I was two, I was two over after 11 holes, and then we turned back into the wind, and it just went... Just turned Kartik Foranage. And it was very wet and very cold. And so we decided to can it, which was the second video we showed you on that day. And then yesterday we had a very nice walk. We walked to Green Dragon Pub in Oxton, our local village. Well, no, we shout out. If other local pubs want to be mentioned, offer us some on a Sunday afternoon and we'll walk to you. Not that the Green Dragon did offer us anything other than a fine selection of real ale and crisps. Um, but yeah, that was it was really enjoyable. Actually, a couple of, what, two and a half hours to do eight miles or something. And then and we took the dogs and Rafi came with us. Didn't do any walking though, which I thought was a little bit odd. Lost his hat um, in a temper. Lost it. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> me through it. Is, it, is that what you told Lisa? He lost his hat. And she's not going to want a dog. I think, oh, mate, you can have one of the 19 and to be fair, it'll probably fit in for about nine years at the side of, side of my child's head. I've got a massive head as well. Don't anyone take any offence to that. We've just got big heads in our family. But no, it was very enjoyable. The weather was nice. And I've actually been for one as well this afternoon, evening, this evening, That's six great. miles today. Very nice. Huge. How did your walk yesterday go? It was good. It was cold. Temperatures had dropped. Yeah, was, I went and played some golf. I think, yeah, I've been doing a bit of walking prior to this. So yeah, I mean, I've been trying to track as much as possible on Strava, including walks, bike rides on the Peloton, because I'll be honest, I'm probably not going to get out the house for the next two weeks looking at the forecast with whatever weather system is currently moving in and the cold weather. I mean, I'm a fair weather person at the best of times and trying to get me out the house for the next two weeks is going to be interesting. So I'm going to be doing yeah, a few miles on that peloton behind me. So, yeah. But yeah, just, it's been good. You clear up that, I mean, golf counts, right? Because it's like interval walk. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I did. I need the 10Ks in my walk. I mean, I was hitting it pretty straight, though, as you could see by the lines that I squiggled down you. on that. Yeah. Well, you straight right and straight left. You also had a lot more intervals in it than mine and Simon's was. Well, I don't know. Certainly not on them last three holes. Right, we're going to move on to cricket. But yeah, obviously the Ashes walk. We will be walking the Ashes from test match to test match, all in support of the World's Covenants. We will keep you updated with how we're going with that. And as soon as we're, we're ready to announce the big launch of it and where you can make donations, etc., we will obviously fill you in with that. But yeah, something where it's going to be really hard. We all, I, I woke up stiff this morning. But, you know, first one, we get fitter, we get stronger, it'll get easier. And so it's something that we're all really looking forward to. Cricket then, there's quite a lot going on. SA20 and BBL today... Two fantastic games. The Eastern Kent Sunrisers beat Mumbai Indians Cape Town with three balls to spend, which was really exciting. And even more exciting, Brisbane Heat actually ended Melbourne Stars' opportunity to even make the top five in the BBR today. As Matt Renshaw, who doesn't play the lap, walked right out of stump and lapped a ball for full on the last ball of the game. So yeah, fantastic. Huge. I think you've watched them. Yeah, I did. I mean, the interview, post-interview with Renshaw was phenomenal because the number nine batsman who came in to support him, gave him the advice, I think you should play the lap shot, to which Matt Renshaw doesn't normally do. And he went, yeah, I think you're right. So, yeah, that was really interesting that he took advice on 86 or 50 balls from a number nine. So it just shows you the BBL does show up a couple of surprises, but yeah, phenomenal game. Yeah, BBL's shown an interesting couple of things. I've learned some new rules when they play at the stadium with a roof. If you hit the roof, that's six. I mean, I would score hundreds for fun. The amount of balls that I sky. Yeah. BBL's been good. The games I've seen have looked look decent. Yeah, I mean, like we spoke about last week, some of the players have now left, but some of the Aussie guys have come in. So that's kind of worked nicely, really. Yeah, that's an odd one. The one about the roof. Joe Clark top edge one, and it went literally straight up. Twice. The keeper would have caught it behind his back. And uh, it dong the roof. No, that's sick. You could just see the bowl. Of, hang on a minute. What? They introduced it, didn't they? Because Aaron Finch beamed one. I absolutely smashed one. He's hit, hit it twice. And 
launched one that would have gone out of the MCG, never mind that indoor stadium, and hit the roof. And that back then it was called a dead ball. And then he did it again the year after and struck it nicely, really well. And it would have gone miles over the road. But I do think the one that goes straight up, there ought to be like a ring in the roof or something that that, that well, changes it. But the thing I don't understand is why, if you play in the laws of cricket, if you play at a ground like overhanging branches or trees that grow onto the ground, it's four. Local rules, though, sometimes it's six, sometimes it's four. Each mm. local rule, don't you? Well, okay. Do you know what I did find interesting? Post-interview with all of that stuff going on, they said, well, they think the umpire should make a call on whether it was gained for six or not. And I went, well, hang on. Are you going to make a call on whether the person caught the ball too? Because we've seen some catches drop during these games. Yes. So I'm going, well, hang on. You're assuming that they're going to catch the ball. And look, 90% of the time they do. But we've some, seen some goobers drop during the BBL and the SA20. So there's so many unknowns from my perspective. I think six is the right call. I mean, it's only happened twice. I think play yeah. on. Yeah. All the cricket going on. Josh De Silva got in touch with me today just to get a bit more kit. He's bloody professionals. Wanting all loads of free kit off, mate. West Indies are flying out to Zimbabwe on Saturday. So very good luck to you there, Josh. Currently going on in Zimbabwe, they're playing, they've played a T20 international series against Ireland. Interesting fact. A uh, friend of the pod, Mark Adair, was able to hand his brother Ross his international cap. They played together in this series. And Ross, on I think he's maybe second or third game, got 65 or 47 balls. So yeah, not often that you see two brothers playing international cricket together. But unfortunately, Ireland have lost that series, I believe, 2-1. India against Sri Lanka. Kohli, another 100. Simon, I know you've got some mad stats on Kohli and records that he's breaking and what have you. Well, I think then they beat Sri Lanka by 317 runs. In one yeah, it's the biggest ever winning margin in a one wow. international. Yeah. Kohli is on 46 one-day 100. Only... I did see a stat, and they had it compared to Ricky Ponting and Sachin Tendulkar. See what oh. I did there? And, I mean, Sachin had played, I think, 483 one-days, and Ricky yeah. had paid 361. And he's almost got the same amount of one-day 100s. I will say one-day. It's the one-day stuff. It doesn't don't compare test with the rest of the boys. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. phenomenal player. In a, and out the what was it? What was the other one? Out of the six to the most hundreds against an individual team, he's got three of the top six. So he's got he's top with ten, yeah, ten Shilanka against Sri Lanka, and he's nine against Australia or something like that. And then whatever, but he's got ten, nine, and eight against three three nations. And Tendulkar's second, and Rohit Sharma, and then one second. So yeah, the ITL twenty. Now I haven't paid much attention to this, but the lineups. Simon and I were having a look at before. It seems like the only T20 competition where there are no local players playing, or like maybe one per side. It's literally a, the lineups are all superstars. It looks that way, but it, 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 I don't. There is some massive names playing in it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's not. But it, it strikes me, and this is it might not be like it, it seems like a bit of an exhibition type jolly boys outing mm. when someone's obviously decided to throw a bit of money at it and. Go, oh, yeah, we'll get these lads, we'll get some others, and we'll just let them play golf and then twat it for a bit and then play a bit more golf. And then it it seems a bit of a rogue one, if I'm honest. And and I don't know, part of me quite likes, like we talk about the SAT20 and the Big Bash and IPL, Pakistan Super League, all those, where you only allow four overseas players, providing those overseas players are of super quality and they're not getting pickles or overseas players that we can and can't argue may or may not have happened in 100. Think there's a bit of a you'd have thought UAE or upcoming nation or certainly places around there. Even if they got some of the Afghani lads and they incorporated them in the group and whatever, you'd have thought that they're they're missing a trick somewhere for the development of cricket. Yeah, it's going to be interesting and people might want to go and watch. I don't know. I've not seen any of the games to know whether anyone's going to watch it, but it's not normally been renowned for its wealth of supporters, fans in the stands. as cricket in the UAE and that time place. So I don't know. Interesting then stats for so for Joe Root today. He was run out by his mate James Vince for six of eleven balls, having batted for thirty six minutes. I think I James mean, Vince probably did him a favour. Well, that or was it Robin Utaper or something that was yeah batting yeah. with him? I mean, I thought he'd retired in around nineteen ninety seven. I think he did. He's just come from one that's jolly, just, and he still scored quicker than Joe Root. No, I don't know. I don't. It's obviously 
I'm all for cricketers going and earning money, and that's and it's their prerogative. But this just it does strike me as with all the other cricket that's going off at the minute. You look at the Big Bash, you look at the South Africa league, and that kind of thing. It's not high on my priority list, shall we say? No, no. It is, as you say, a jolly because I mean, I was just looking at the lineup of one of the sides, and they had Gleeson, Visser, Jordan, Liam Dawson, and Rahan. I mean, five of the six bowlers are all overseas. Yeah. Yeah, One of them, uh, Sancho Charman, he is a UAN 19 player. Travelled the most, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, it's very much an exhibition with very few locals by the looks of things. Yeah, it seems, it seems a shame, really, because then it's just to throw a load of money at a load of international lads so you're going to three-week go at hitting a white ball as far as they can in, the, in Dubai and playing some nice golf courses. I've just had a bit of a flashback, actually, to when we interviewed Pike, Paul Franks, talking about the T10. And he was talking about with coaching and because they've obviously got the same, a similar kind of rule where you're only allowed a certain amount of overseas players. And he was talking about how difficult it was because you basically got clubbies, well, glorified clubbies playing with Paul Sterling yeah. or these guys. And so I can, I can kind of see what they're doing, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's not something that I'll be honest, I've got. Yeah, maybe. I've saw Hales, he got 83, which I'm trying for, but. Maybe it's a case of. And again, we need to do some more digging into this so we've got our flags straight. But maybe it's a case of bring these odds in, let all the local lads actually train with them, learn from them, be around them. Maybe that's the point of it. Maybe we're doing it a bit of a disservice. I don't know. Uh, maybe we can have a look at that before we maybe make a public apology next week to the three people that listen. Do, do you know what? The, I mean, uh, you know, I know we are going to move on to the SA20 at some stage, yeah, but personally, I've really enjoyed the development of South African talent coming through and watching some of the youngsters coming through in that SA20. And I haven't seen much of that in the international T20, unfortunately. Well, unless you guys have spotted any young youth no. coming through from the no, UAE. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, now that you've brought it up, we might as well move on to the SA20. I really like it. I do too, actually. I mean, it's, got, it's gaining traction, isn't it? There's been a fair bit of traction gained to some of the wickets. Has there? I haven't noticed. What I mean is the scores have been really good. Nah. I mean, there's I been, there hasn't been a 15 all out or a 25 all out like the BBL. So hang on, what are you talking about? No, I agree. I watched Michael Nisa swing it round corners to Joe Clark this morning. Bowler, hey? Jeez, he yeah. is. I mean, look, we talked about this off air and obviously I've, I've said that a bit tongue in cheek, which is what I said. But the thing T20 kind of, and maybe this is the, the game moving forward, I don't know. I am all for, as we often talk about on here, bowlers having a, it's not about bowlers bowling badly and that's one of Simon's gripes like being planted into the middle of next week every ball for 20 overs I just don't think maybe for me to say that I don't think the wickets have been great is the wrong thing maybe the batters are approaching it in the wrong way but as we all agreed on before we came on air all of the runs in the SAT SA20 so far have been scored very much outside of the first power play every side seems to be four down inside the first six overs now is that poor batting is there Good bowling? Is it? Is it the wickets aren't? Maybe they've got a bit too much juice in them at first, or is it an amalgamation of all three? Look, it, it's. I saw one. Oh, I've watched a couple of the games, but one particular game that springs to mind is JSK against the Cape Town Indian, as they should have been called. When I saw the first two balls, and George Linder had it first ball, bowled it full, and it literally pitched on middle of the leg and missed off stump. Yeah, and we're standing there going, "All he's got to do is make it bound." All he's got to do, and he then proceeded to bowl the next two halfway down, got whacked for full, and then bowled it full again, and that was it. Eight off the first, eight off the first over. Sam Curran then bowled the second one, bowled cutters, but then bowled two absolute rank long off, got it for nine. But then you've got Rashid Khan, the other left arm wrist spin bowler, was spinning it ridiculously. I mean, he got the left arm wrist spin. I got fatigued to see out with one that he bowled it about sixty-four miles an hour. It pitched on off stump, came back in it middle and leg from just back of a lane, and it hit the very top, planted two poles out of the ground. And you saw Fafty Placid standing there going, oh, What can I Odin do about Smith. that? Yeah. And then, yeah, Odin Smith bowled someone with an in swing Yorker that started at about gully. So I did think that, and that was one where JSK got 105. And I think, I'll be honest, they did well to get 105, and then Mumbai and uh, Cape Town knocked it off with four overs to go or whatever. But I think it's general. I like there's a bit of competition. I think what it has, I don't think the standard of bowling's been great. I know you just said there's been some decent youngsters coming through. I, I've not been that impressed with the bowling at all, if I'm honest. Not just from 
the local lads, but from some of the more experienced people, I don't know whether it's because some of the standards we saw at a T20 World Cup were so high. And at the start of the big bash, the standard bowling was very good. And whether this is just a bit of a fall off or whatever, I mean, can get Rabada looked like he was bowling with a different ball to everyone else, but about two or three overs the other day. But yeah, it's good because it's competitive. And that's the thing for me. If it makes cricket competitive, if sides are getting bowled out for 105, fine. If, and if sides are knocking them off in 18 overs for six, seven down, fine. No problem. It's, you've got to find a way to win the game. And that, for me, is part of the art of cricket. It's not just dinging the ball over table mountain or which other as appropriate landscape is available. Landscape you want to <laughs> be playing at. But I don't know. It's, yeah. It's all getting a bit much for me, the T20 stuff at the minute. I'll be honest. It, there's a lot of it on, and I don't think it's great. I think what we're seeing is a lot of watered down average cricket. I yeah, think we're, right. we're seeing a lot of bang average captaincy. So, I mean, we saw some of that in the T20 World Cup, but some of this guy, it just looks like it, it almost looks like it, football did in the summer sometimes when you see like a summer tour of the US and you watch Man United against Chelsea from Los Angeles. And it was just people didn't seem bothered. I'm sure they are. I just, I don't know. I think there's too much of it. I think it takes too long. The idea that we're a week into this South Africa thing the other day and there's only been nine games, I think is shocking. I know there's only six teams, so how many games can you play? But in that time period, and the bowlers are only bowling four overs. Come on, mate. But it's not. Well, they want to make it last because then it almost justifies the competition, doesn't it? I think you're right. I think with these international lads going and playing five games in the Big Bash and then going to South Africa because that's where the money is now. And it, there's all this talk about the calendar being so congested as it is. Well, everybody now wants a part of the franchise pie. And so the only one that's really separate from that is the UK and the, the 100 and the Blast, because our season's different to basically... Everybody. You say that it's the Caribbean Premier League's coming into it now, isn't it? Well, it's there and that's starting to encroach. So, right, so it, it, I don't know. I'm all for it. I'm all for guys going and earning money. I think it's just becoming, I think some of the overseas players aren't great. And I know they've got to fill them, fill spots, and that's fine. I ain't going to name, but they're all good cricketers at the end of the day. All these guys are getting picked. They're far better than I won, all that kind of thing. But I think in those kind of tournament, you want the best players. Mm. I don't understand the best players can't play all the time, but some of the guys you're sitting there going, are getting picked in like the big bash. If I was a whoever fan of one of those players, you're looking around at some of them going, surely we've got someone. Surely there's someone in Australia that of a similar standard. That's really interesting for me. So obviously Brent, who played two years for our club, the Knotts Premier League, runs scoring record with 1,350 league runs this year. I was watching the game today, and Michael Nisa cleaned, cleaned up Jordan Cox, but who had a, reason, a decent blast. Well, you can't be telling me that Jordan Cox, as an overseas, is better. They've got to, there's got to be better clubbies in... Australia than paying Jordan Cox to go in as an overseas. And I don't know Jordan Cox. He's a reasonable English cricketer. But, I mean, really? I don't know. That's all, all I'm saying is I'm not, I don't know Jordan Cox either. I and mean, then, like, he might have done, like you say, he might have done well in the bash and blast and, and whatever. But I just, for me, the whole thing, the whole aspect of this T20 franchise thing is just getting so watered down. So yeah. like we're sitting there and all of a sudden there's this three. T20 tournaments happening at the same time that are all vying for players, one of which has no local player rule. So all these guys are just rocking up yeah, from wherever. Yeah. Again, no criticism on those lads at all. And it's not busy. It's but just too much. much. Too much. Well, how much is too much, I guess, is the question. Yeah. Because when, at what point do they become unwatchable? Because it's not, mm-hmm. it's actually not that entertaining. Talking of cricket being watchable, we are going to come on to the conversation that we've been trying to have for about four weeks. In a minute. But last week, there was a meeting held between the ECB, I think Ben Stokes, Baz McCullen, and all of the 18 counties. I don't know if you, are you across this? Have you heard about this? Yeah. Whereby the ECB and, and Ben and Brendan have basically said, look, this is how we want you to go about playing county championship cricket in, because this is how we want the test team to run and this is the way in which they basically explain their thinking behind 
the style of cricket that they want to play. And they've said, look, we're not expecting you not to play for draws and this and any other, but in order for the test team to be successful for a prolonged period, this is how we're going to go about our style of play. And your lads have got a much better chance of actually being recognised for that if they go about their cricket in the way in which we want them to. Do we think that's a positive? Do we think that's a negative? Eugene. Don't know. I genuinely don't know. Why Why are they doing it is my question. Is it because there's too much cricket? No, I think what they're doing is saying, look, this is the way in which we're going to approach test cricket. If your lads are going to go and block the schnauzer off it for 80 hours a day in order to try and accumulate points through the more traditional style of playing catch cricket, which isn't really drawing anything out of the ordinary in terms of fans, then this is, you've got the opportunity to buy into this. Now, I guess the first question is that right that they're going to them and trying to impress their vision onto the 18 counties or should they have just left well alone and then picked from the pool that they've got what do we think about that from my perspective you can't influence somebody's style of cricket by trying to impress something upon them each person plays cricket well in in different regions different I mean, whether it's test cricket, whether it's T20 cricket and we'll quickly well I'll quickly focus on the on on the SA20 the conditions in the SA20 are very seamer friendly. And you were talking about the state of the pitches. Well, some of those bowlers didn't have to use the pitches because the conditions enabled them to swing the ball, much as they do in England. So from my perspective, it's got nothing to do with the pitch. It's got to do with the way they play. So therefore, they have to be a little bit more circumspect until the shine of the ball is off the is no longer there. And the ball is then able to be crushed to all parts of the ground by the lower order, if we can call it that. The same goes for test cricket. You have to have, in different conditions, different abilities to be able to succeed. And if Ben Stokes and Baz McCullum are asking the county cricketers in the beginning of April to go out and score 600 runs in a day or 400, 500 runs in a day, it's not realistic because the conditions don't suit. So I, again, what I find ironic about it is we had a conversation about six weeks ago, maybe five weeks ago, where... They said, you know what, we're done with meetings, and yet they've just held a meeting to go and influence other people. And I don't, I personally, I don't like doing that sort of thing. I think people should do what they do. And if they happen to be, and they happen to fit into the plans of the England side, then great. Because, you know, good example, Rahan Ahmed, who played in the Pakistan series, he's not in the squad to go to the next series, is he not? So he's a fit for purpose player that plays in a certain way that is picked for a certain style of cricket. Now, there's going to be other players that are going to be brought in with the same vision. You're more suitable to playing at XYZ. And you know what? The Aussies have been really good at that. Scott Mark Boland. Boland. Scott yeah. Boland. Scott Boland, sorry. What did I say? Mark Boland. Yeah, Scott Boland. Mark Boland's a good friend of mine from school. Isn't he good at cricket? <laughs> yeah, he, no, he wasn't good at cricket. Scott Boland, you know, Exactly that. So, no, I don't think asking for that to happen is a good idea. I think the what the everyone thinks seems to think this England methodology is to whack it as far as you can. And I don't, I think it's more sort of, I think you look at the way they played in Pakistan, it's how aggressive can we be in order to give us the best chance of a result. And I think that is the mindset that people want to change. I'm not, I don't think they're asking people to change necessarily ways of playing or how people hit the ball or whatever i think they're just asking from a generally more positive mindset and i think it's for two reasons one because the players that england have got at the minute perform best when that is the way that they need to play which is fine and so they and the captain wants people to play that way so he's going to pick it and the coach wants them to play that way so yeah you can say to counties all you like but we want you to play this way because when guys come down to play county cricket they're just gonna, if kent for example i'll pick kent out at random Side they want to play block it, it, that Crawley isn't going to be allowed to go and play for them. That's it's just not going to happen. If Surrey decide they're going to, and they, not that they will, but you, Ollie Pope's not going to be allowed to go and play for them. You, you can go through the whole list of and whether they're small counties, big counties, whatever it is, which I support. If you go back to the New Zealand style of rugby, the contracts are held with New Zealand rugby teams, and they then go down and go, right, this is how we want you to play to the point where they will pick players. They will tell clubs to pick players in certain positions because it suits best New Zealand rugby. Now, does that mean 
ECB are going to say to not so we want Ben Duckett opening the bank. I don't know. And this is how we'd like you to play. But I think it's a mentality thing. I also think the ECB are being quite coy about it and they've used whether they're using Ben Stokes and Brandon McCullum to try and promote a way of playing in order to keep the cash cow that is test cricket in this country coming in. Because they will have seen a drop off. They will, but the re, there's a reason why in the last few years you've been able to get tickets for series at, at £25 a day, whereas a few years ago it was £50, £60, £70 pound a day, and we've seen with the Ashes this year it's up again. Like they, they know that if England keep playing this brand of cricket, they'll get money. So do I think they should say it? I think the game's bigger than any one county, and I think if Test cricket is going to survive like we spoke about last week, it's got to go further than just 11 blokes who play for England teeing off and doing that it's got to be something that goes through the game and yes England can force it on other countries by winning games that way like mm. you, we talk about Barbara Zam and Tim South and those in things but they've got a, they can have a direct impact on through county cricket of how long this lasts and so I think it's I think it's perfectly fair at the end of the day the ECB keep all these clubs afloat this mm. is what people don't think about it's all in good a chairman from uh, let's use a big county, Glo- was, uh, Warwickshire, go in, well, you can't tell us how to play. Oh, all right. Well, here's your five million quid. They're small businesses. County cricket is it's like semi-non-league to League Two football. They are small businesses with small turnover who are so- massively reliant on the ECB. And so if the ECB want to go, well, condition of us, you, you're getting this money, so you play this way, good on them. They want to improve cricket in this country. It's onto the ECB. It's not onto Fred Barlow from who made a few quid selling tractors and decided to become chairman of a club going, oh, yes, but this is where I like to come on a Sunday and sit with my dog and my apples and all that. Piss off. I've had a conversation with my mum before about you, you going into John Lewis once every three months doesn't keep John Lewis afloat. So the ECB have got to try and find a way. And if that's exciting cricket. But the but- ECB are then going to have to invest in stadiums that are covered. Because how can grounds people, so curators of pitches, how can they influence and make pitches? You know? I'm not saying it's not a flawed plan. And yeah, there is a lot of things that are going to have to go into it, whether that's time frames of playing, whether that's, I mean, the easiest one that every, everyone can say, and Kevin Peterson has banged on about it loads of times, is you franchise the cricket. So you play, you play less of it, but you play it at a best standard. And I think county cricket is the only group where people will stand there and go, well, that won't work. Yeah. Remind me, who were we talking to earlier in one of the podcasts where we, he's a spinner and basically he said, yeah, look, there's no point in me doing anything in April. I'm just going to stand there and bat. Who was that? So I'm spinning. But, but again, they've got it all random. I mean, we could have a whole rant about how they've got it right and wrong and everything else. But that's just on this particular issue. That's what they want people to do. They're the ones that give them the money. Have they got a right to say it? Leads us on quite nicely to, to the, and I'm glad we haven't spoken about this in the last 17 episodes that I've been trying to shoehorn it in, because it actually fits really nicely now. So talking about coaching and environments, allowing players to thrive within certain environments. So case in point at the minute is Brendan McCollum and Ben Stokes or AKA Basball. How much of an effect do we think the environment has on the players and their ability to play to the best of their ability within it. So would, I mean, obviously KP was brilliant, but he's a, a flawed personality. So it was the tech scandal, wasn't it, in the South African Samuel. Do we think that within this current environment that KP could have been even better than he was? And do we think that carries across? Obviously we've seen that we've seen the England side come on to do so well. How much do we put that down to the environment that they're now working within? And is this now something where coaches internationally are going to have to really look at changing their style Leadership of work? Styles. Leadership styles. Just look at Justin Langer. I don't know if you've watched the test. Me and Lisa binge watched it. Like, obviously, that all solo parts of him off the back of winning the Ashes and in the World Cup. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Six, well, a six-month extension. How about Swivel? Do we think that the coaching role is now changing? No. Y- yes, massively. I mean... I think back in the day before, what's the right word? Before mental health, before mental well-being was important to men. We spoke to a few people on the podcast where I think it was Simon who said if he had something that was going on and some demons that was going on in his head, 
he wouldn't tell anyone about it because the blokes would pull the pus out of him. And I don't think that that you can you can thrive in that sort of environment. I think I even mentioned on one of the Australia tests, I think the captain at the time walked down to the guy at fine leg and said, if you don't start fielding properly, I'm never going to allow you back onto a cricket field again. So this Alan, iron f- Alan Border, yeah, saying it to one of his bowlers. This iron fist rule was something that I think people saw from Australia and then tried to create their own versions of the copy. And it was interesting. I mean, you often hear about Michael Atherton. He had a similar approach. He was very closed off. And he wishes he was slightly different. From, again, I'm, yes, I've heard it in interviews where he talks about he wish he could have done things so differently and been a bit more open and understand what makes people tick because he would have been, it would have been a better environment for people to thrive in. So I think, unfortunately, people saw something that worked in Australia, try to copy it. And then I think now we're getting to that stage where people are understanding that. And again, maybe it's come from the corporate world. Because we've seen that change in the corporate world too. I don't know about you guys, but you know, the autonomy to be able to, what's the right word, ask for forgiveness instead of permission in most of your day-to-day routine is massively important. Depends what role you're in. Obviously, if you're in medi- medical. Do, you're dying the husband role, Clark. Well, there you go. But yeah, look, I think there's a lot more autonomy that goes on. And if you're able to, if you're given that, that, that sort of leeway to be creative and to be slightly different, that's where your people succeed more often than not. So. Yeah. Steve Smith's very interesting. Like they, I've been watching the test, like him and Marnus are obviously very close. And it's almost like the role reversal switch, switch. Like they referred to Marnus having come in and been very much the junior partner, whereas they now see him as being very much the kind of leader of that friendship. Well, Steve Smith, or both of them to an extent, they just kind of let him get on with it. And you look at the transformation in Steve Smith since he came over in 2009, I think it was Robbo, wasn't it? To, to where he is now, and he's now one of the greats of the game. I don't think anybody can argue that. Well, they just let him paddle his own canoe, really. He obviously fits in within the team and the team environment and whatever, and he's obviously very well liked. But in terms of how he prepares and stuff, and these little quirks, and he says, I mean, they, you can carry on, mate. You crack on, as long as you do what we need you to do. do. Going back to the KP thing, do you think that he could have been even better in today's England environment than he was where he probably at times felt kind of shackled a little bit, for want of a better expression. Well, if you look at everything he was asking for, it's not what the players have got. So, like, you can't say what he was after and what he wanted to do and how he was wrong because the ECB have now done it and allowed players to go away and earn money here and there and kind of manage themselves to a certain extent. I, I think on the coaching thing, it's massive. We have uh, not this discussion, but uh, uh, when we were talking about who the New England coach was going to be and we were talking about the link between coach and captain and then the players. I think there's a time and a place for every type of coaching. I think the good coaches are the ones that know when to, how to be and when to introduce. It's a bit, it, it's a bit like an old school thing. You, know, like, yeah, you, you have a bollock in here or do you give the guy a pat on the back? Like that's, I mean, there used to be the two options and it was about knowing when to do that with certain people and how to do it and whatever. Whereas I think now it's, do you give the guys autonomy and how much autonomy do you give them and, giving them enough rope to let them free, but not too much to hang themselves with and all this kind of this people management side of thing. And I think it, it works. You look at Graham Smith, for example. Graham Smith was very much the kind of taskmaster type of captain. And But what he had was 10 or 11 players around him who followed that. You look at Andrew Strauss, for example, and I know that the KP thing kind of started under Andrew Strauss, went on to Alistair Cook. But under Andrew Strauss, England were the best test team in the world. So did it work? Arguably, was KP a good player to start off with within that? I mean, you look at how he was under Michael Vaughan, and he was brilliant. Now, did he change, or did is Vaughan that different to Strauss and Cook? I don't know. We can, we won't, we will never know. But I think it's about finding the right balance and the right people to fill the positions. And I think that occurs in every walk of life, in every aspect of life. You see people who play cricket now that definitely wouldn't have been a professional cricketer twenty years ago. Because they were after different things. They wanted different types of players. You saw people who weren't professional cricketers 20 years ago. We've all played with some unbelievable cricketers who just because of maybe it was an attitude thing or maybe it was a, they tried to bash it or the, they tried to bowl dot balls as opposed to somebody who wanted to run in and take bowl wicket balls all the time. And different people wanted different roles. I think the biggest thing that applies in all of it is communication, honesty, and 
because there are some PAs like you, you look at KP and who, and Steve Smith, for example. So Steve Smith, they'll just go right off you go, off you go. You go out and net when you want, you net as much or as little as you want, make sure you're ready for the game. Whereas a young player coming back in, let's say a Cameron Bancroft, let's go back to that type of situation where you have David Warner, Stephen Smith and Cameron Bancroft, someone that's very impressionable, very malleable. And you've got two blokes there that are senior players that are told to go and do it their way and do what they want. Now, coaching, and this is one of the things where, where Justin Lang and Darren Lehman at the time maybe got things wrong, was they should have probably gone up to Cameron Bancroft and gone, look, be your own person. Make sure, because senior players who are doing that can have massive influence, but it's all about open and honest communication and telling. Sometimes when a guy comes into a team, you need to tell him a little bit, no, you, you can't do what they're doing. You haven't got, you haven't got the clout. You haven't got the fun. You're a success. So you need that. Yes, it needs to be done in an environment where, and we don't know in this England environment, whether people like Ben Stokes and Josh Butler just get asked to whack balls and that's it. And then whether a Ben Duckett is right, is he working in nets constantly? We've seen a standard of fitness that you know, Ollie Robinson's improved. All these guys have improved. So I think it's a balance. It's getting the right people at the right place at the right time. And a coulda, woulda, shoulda kind of question is always a difficult one. Comparing eras, comparing times. It's not an unfair question, but it's kind of, yeah, Mark Atherton saying, oh, I wish I'd have done it this way. Yeah, but you didn't because we were shite. Yeah. Fair. We were so bad. We The players under his command weren't good enough. So it, so did he have to do things that way? Yeah, he probably didn't need to run shit on the ball in South Africa, but like, did he have to do things that way? Probably. Like, so I don't know. Well, there we go. In terms of none of us now, which is a pretty popular theme on this podcast. We yes. Questions you never. Yeah. Here's a question. What do you think of his commentary on the SA20 KPs? That is, that's something you can factually have an opinion on. I really like it. I think he, he's got a brilliant knowledge of the game. I find him quite engaging, and I, yeah, I just think he he knows a great deal about the game. But people didn't used to like Warney at times because of his commentary. I always loved listening to him just because it's funny when my mum and dad, when they watch the cricket, they're not a big fan of obviously Rob Key. Now he's obviously moved roles now. He's not with Sky anymore. And they're not a big fan of Mark Butcher because they're saying that they're too, they go too in depth about cricket and the tactical side of it. And the side of it. I said, but that's what I live for. That's what I watch for because that's the stuff that I, that's the bit that I really want. And so, so I think in terms of opinionated stuff like that it's horses for courses isn't it but i think the amount of knowledge that kp's got yes he's divisive yes you either love him or you hate him personally i'm a kp fan and i like his commentary and i like the inside that he can impart whilst on comms that's my personal view robert i, I agree i think he's a very good commentator and i think what a lot of people don't or didn't see about kp when he was a player was how hard he worked I think I might have mentioned this before on the podcast when people didn't see the fact that he was always the first one at Nets. He was always coming up to the people who were helping out around that. Can you throw me balls? Can you do this? Can you do that? What do you think to this? How can I do? He was asking constant questions and that led to, he's done for me one of the best, the Sky Sports, when they do like a coaching session. Yeah, like that type of thing. He did one of the best on it because... It was no frills, no go. The two best ones that I've ever seen were him and Brendan McCullen. And that they just make it. I think some people, and this is where I may have a bit of an issue with someone like Mark Butcher on commentary. I think they overcomplicate it. And I think a lot of people, for me, overcomplicate the game. I'm, I think the game's quite simple, made very difficult by people that play it. And I think what you have in KP is someone that's, yes, he was very talented, but he worked very hard and he did. He worked very hard on few things that made the game simple for him. And I think that's what comes across in his commentary when people, when he starts talking about Brevis and when he starts talking about all the guys and what they're doing. And then this, his knowledge of situations and what the batter should be doing and that type of stuff. For me, if I was a kid listening to that, how can you not go, all right, okay. How can you not? Normally, you'd only get that by playing with these guys. Because if you're batting at the other end from a senior pro, You'll see it. And we've all played a lot of cricket. We've been in situations where a young lad comes in and it's a situation that we might be more comfortable with and they think's dramatic, but you can sit and coach them through it and take them through it. I think he's basically giving free coaching clinics every time because he's saying, this is what the batter should be doing. This is what he should be looking for. This is how it might be. What is he expecting the bowler to bowl? Look at the field. This is how he's expecting to do it. There's, I watched the NFL and Tony Romo is on commentary 
in the NFL and he's calling the play what's going to happen, where person's going to run as, mm. as the, before the play happens. And for me, that's brilliant. Mm. I love that. I can understand why people don't, like Jono says. I can understand why people don't. But for me, I love it. And if I was a young cricketer, if I, like, if I had an 11, 12-year-old lad and Kevin Peterson was on commentary with A.B. de Villiers, I mean, they did a stint the other day and it was absolutely incredible. I mean, the ironic thing was the standard of cricket going off at the time was not flat. <laughs> but the way that they were talking about it, it was actually in that game when Cape Town were getting the spinners they were talking yeah. about what shots they should be playing where they should be looking to score how this kind of works and now you're thinking hang on a minute you've got two of the guys two of the best ever to do it in short format cricket giving a free coaching clinic to anyone mm. watching that game how it should be done yeah and so I just think he's, he's very good he's very good yeah he sometimes talks about how good he was I was going to say that it was a loaded question because I think he at the moment I didn't think he was a very good commentator when I listened to him at the Big Bash because all he did was everything was about him. The thing I've really enjoyed about the commentary stints that he's done within the SA20 is how he's brought in all of the people around him to that. So yeah. it sort of relates a little bit to the coaching and the influence that he's now having to bring people in. And um, I was going to reference exactly that commentary stint that he did with AB. And when you were playing, what were you thinking? Instead of it all being about KP, he seems to have sort of changed a little bit. And maybe I suppose that's something that, that he's it learned was, along the way. But We've got some great people doing that. I mean, Vernon Salander's part of that team. Ashwell Prince has been on there. So, you know, the, if you've not watched the SA20, I mean, other than the wickets being crap. Allegedly. Top, allegedly. The top wickets being really good. Yeah, how, yeah, the wicket's crap. The ball's swinging too much. It's got nothing to do with the wicket, bud. Oh, shut up. So, what have we learned tonight? Eugene still can't sing. KP's a great commentator. The SA20 wickets are crap. The IT20 is a load of codswall. And... Three, four-year-old blokes who can absolutely tear themselves to bits walking 625 miles in 22 days. But we're training our way up to it, aren't we? Which is going to be a lot of fun. So thanks for joining us. As hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. There is one bit that on the day of release, happy birthday, John. John's birthday on Friday. Thursday. Today. Is we're releasing it. Okay. It goes out on Tuesdays. We are now. All right. I was trying to do a nice thing for you and say happy birthday on the podcast, but you can bollocks now. Eugene, get released on Tuesday or Friday. Or don't do one this week. Let's have a commemorative one for Jono. Yes, it is my 14th birthday this week. Thank you, Simon. Good to know that you're so in line with the podcast and when it goes out and stuff. It goes out in the week. Very kind of you. Yes, I do. I turn 40 later this week. Um, just before you and about seven years after Eugene. So one thing we must, we can't forget to mention is of course, we do all of this for the Lord's Summoners. The Ashes Walk is all being done for the Lord's Summoners. If you need any information about them, if you've got any information, the Lord's Summoners can help you out. But if you need any information on the Lord's Summoners, please head to www.lordstumners.org. Any questions you've got, any input you want to give us about what we've spoken to tonight or anything that you've heard in the previous episodes, please let us know. Info at sloggingit.co.uk. So, right, well, there we go. Yes. Please do like, share, rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, I think is where you can review us. Everywhere. Oh, everywhere. Apparently you can review us everywhere. So uh us or even review us everywhere. But don't forget, we're like three brilliant Uber drivers all rolled into one. Five stars only. See you next week. Love you, bye. Cheers, please. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network.